As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey. This is the weekend review where we're going to talk cup finals, Champions League qualification. We'll likely have a Bielsa loving because that's what we do and we'll be discussing another MLS goal fest. Joining me to do so is a man who's not reportedly agreed to become the new Bayern Munich coach because he's not Julian Nagelsmann, Taylor Rockwell. I mean, yet is what I would like to throw in there. We'll see how it all plays out. But yes, at, at time of recording, it does feel like Nagelsmann has the slight edge over me. I think you. I thought you were saying you were not yet Julian Nagelsmann, as if you were going to transform into him at some point, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, th- I got to change the whole wardrobe up at oh. that point. I got to be way more baby faced, which is going to be a problem for me. So I've got some work to do. I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> Julian Nagelsmann is never growing a beard anywhere near the might of yours. He hasn't shaved you. since he was born. That is a fact. And speaking of someone who hasn't shaved since he was born, joining <laughs> I Taylor and I is a man. <laughs> Who's not covering more than 90% of Mesut Ozil's 350k a week salary because he's not Arsenal Football Club. Graham Rutherford, sorry about that shot there, Graham. Uh, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And the the, the, the hurtful thing is, it's actually accurate. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot match uh, Taylor Rockwell in the facial hair stakes, that is for sure. Nobody can. Nobody can and nobody ever will. And that's absolutely fine, Graham. But I snuck in there a reference to uh, Meza Ozil's wages being paid by Arsenal to a rate of more than 90% until June. That's David Ornstein at The Athletic reporting that. That's fun, isn't it? As if Arsenal don't have enough on their plate. Yeah, they, that, that Super League, <laughs> again, really could have helped a few clubs out. Inter, <laughs> Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Yep, they needed that. They needed that cash. Yeah, all fun and games. Something else that was reported by Matt Law in the Daily Telegraph, Arsenal-related, by the way, gents. He says in a tweet this morning, I have it on good authority that Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Patrick Vieira have joined Spotify founder Daniel Ek in his bid to buy Arsenal FC. And I am told it is very real, says uh, Matt Law. Uh, this is interesting, Taylor. The, the, thing, the most interesting aspect of this story isn't that these three players are clubbing together with Daniel Ek. I don't know financially how much they're going to provide. I'm presuming the Spotify founder might have a bit more capital. But what I'm worried about is this creating 
a soccer divide in the streaming wars. Does do Tottenham now have to have <laughs> Apple Music and they can't have Spotify anymore? Man City, do they have to have Tidal because they're rich and fancy? And I'm presuming like Sheffield United fans have to stick with the Amazon Music that you get automatically with Prime that nobody uses. Yeah, that checks out. That seems fair. That seems fair. Yeah. Uh, I do now have a horrifying reality of the streaming platforms having their individual teams that they sponsor, and then you have to go to those streaming platforms to get different content for those teams. And I don't need that. I don't need that in our world, Ryan. I need it to just be simplified to the 14,000 streaming services we already have. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm, I'm personally a bit afraid about the competition we're going to get in the podcast arena when Gunnosaurus gets his Spotify show as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Just, just felt banging against a microphone for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it's on the new and notable list. I don't know how that came to be. Felt banging against the microphone. What a wonderful <laughs> image for a Monday as we look back at the weekend's games. Why don't we start with one of those games, gents? We're going to talk first up about West Ham against Chelsea, a crucial game in the battle for the top four in the Premier League, which may not be a sentence you would have associated with this tie at the start of the season. Chelsea are now three points ahead in that race, thanks to a 1-0 victory in this one. Graham, not exactly... A classic, but a pretty competent performance from Chelsea, which feels like uh, the, the kind of vibe that I've, I've given to Chelsea many times over the past few weeks. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of that that glitch defeat to uh, to West Brom at home a few mm. weeks ago, th- this is pretty much what we've we've come to expect from Chelsea: a, a very well drilled, organised performance, um, quite defensive in nature. I think it's it's fair to say. I mean, that they've they've conceded, I think, nine goals with Tuchel at the helm and five of those obviously coming in in the one game in that in that yeah. game against West Brom. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think um, Chelsea are very impressive in the way that, that Tuchel has come in and so quickly put them into a structure that looks likely, I would say at this point, to send them into the top four. I think you'd say they're probably the favourites of the team teams going for, for those one or two places. Um, but I do wonder at what point we start to think about them as quite a boring team I know that seems harsh to suggest given that they're 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 in the Champions League semi-finals and they're in good form and they're probably going to finish in the top four but they've only scored 27 times in 21 games under Tuchel and um, I don't really look forward to watching their games that much is that fair to say is that the sense you two get as well I I completely agree with that They're they're not beautiful by any means are they their style of play they just do this neutralizing the opposition thing through yeah death through defending almost i'd maybe describe it as De- defend very defensive with their possession taylor are you on board with that that they're not the most thrilling but they get the job done bit like me i think it, i think i think that's a little harsh to be honest because i think <laughs> that early on when, when this is a game in my mind that if frank lampard is still the manager yes i'm going all the way back to that uh, i think they lose this game i think like n- not even comprehensively but i think it's it's much less organized it's they concede more maybe they get a few more but it's it's not a game they win and i think that because of the record under tuchel the way they've been playing i think teams have gone more defensive i think west ham kind of surprised me with how defensive they were at times in this one in the back five and then a sort of five two one two i think was roughly their defensive shape and it seemed like they were really trying to clog the middle really trying to force chelsea out wide and that chelsea ended up finding a way through from a really great pass from conte like i sort of i think the team was set up to negate everything they were trying to do and they still found a way to score so i think my conclusion is that thomas tuchel's chelsea team is like like uh, like 30 or 70%, 60 to 70% like Bielsa, like that sort of team. And then the rest is Mourinho. So it's mm. playing this like lots of organized, this person moves here and this person moves there. And then maybe we get an opening, but simultaneously we win one nil and that's good enough. 
Well, it was certainly an improvement for Chelsea on, on the Brighton performance, I'd say. Pretty, pretty, uh, uh, once again, it's just professional, I suppose, is the word I use. Which, now I think of it, Graham, if I look at the thesaurus of soccer, it is another word for boring. Um, so so uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're quite right there. One I thing just, I wanted to call you... Go on, Graham. I was, I I was going to add, I just think it's quite funny that, that Abramovich, um, in particular, over and over again during his time as Chelsea owner, has tried to move Chelsea away from Mourinho ball yep. and somehow keeps ending up back there. And it just seems like they're back at they're back in that, that stage right now. Regardless of how effective and efficient it is, which it undoubtedly is, I just I still see that 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 uh, Mourinho ball element, as Taylor says, in what Tuchel's doing right now. Graham has just written a comedy, a modern day comedy right here, which is that Roman Abramovich uh, clearly made a deal with the devil uh, where he could get a Premier League team, but they would always play really boring soccer. And now he's in this constant eternal struggle to pull them away. And every time he thinks he's done it, it doesn't end up working and they go back to Mourinho. So here we are. Graham, I hope you win your Oscar. Graham's saying uh, they've regressed to the Mourinho. Mourinho? No, that didn't work. Anyway, what, something I did want to talk about, Graham, something you tweeted. Moves on this, swiftly. <laughs> I did. Well, not as swiftly as I should have done. I shouldn't have said it in the first place. But um, uh, Timo Werner, Graham, I think you tweeted yeah. in support of his general oeuvre over the weekend. I mean, I, I, we saw him sort of miss miss at least one very good chance to uh, to make this more comfortable for Chelsea. Tuchel afterwards saying Timo Werner could have made it more comfortable, quite literally making it um, uh, clear there. I've said when he first moved to Chelsea, and even when he was at Leipzig, that I didn't really trust a lot of his decision making, and maybe he, maybe he's not the uh, out and out striker that this 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 league needs, or certainly that Chelsea need. Can you sell me on him a little more? Because I feel like I'm too down on him. Okay, here's here's my sales pitch for Timo Werner, and I understand what you're saying. In this game, where he scored his first goal, I think, in all competitions since February, and his first Premier League goal since November, I think it was, or something ridiculous like that, he still managed to miss a sitter in this game, right? But I'm going to make my sales pitch for him, and that is that soccer needs players like Timo Werner, and in particular, given everything we've just said about Chelsea under Tuchel, Chelsea need players like Timo Werner. I compare it to how I like... Uh, Vinny Jr. for Real Madrid. He is equally as unpolished. He makes bad decisions. He frustrates. He misses open goals. But, but, he makes things happen. Whether it's for himself or for someone else, he creates space. He, as I say, makes something happen on the pitch. And and I think we're now finding out that the player we all thought Timo Werner was going to be, that's, that's not going to materialise. He's probably not going to be the next great Chelsea number nine. But that doesn't mean he can't be an important player for Chelsea. And I look at his performance in the Champions, in the, in the Champions League and in that FA Cup semi-final win over City. And then this game as well. He is really crucial to what Tuchel is doing in relieving the pressure from that defensive structure that he's built. And I think he's more productive than people give him credit for. He might not always score the goal or get the assist, but he does tend to create something. So I'll stuck, stick up for uh, Timo Werner, regardless of the slander you sent his way, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan do you, I, have a, I have a question for Graham, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course you can. You don't have to ask me. Taylor, I mean, just ask I, I'm just, I don't want to step in on your hosting toes, you know, like... <laughs> We've we've already had the awkward move along. I don't want to I don't want to put you in more awkward hot water. Step away on those toes, my good sir. <laughs> uh, Graham, like so when. Roberto Firmino wasn't scoring that much for Liverpool or as much for Liverpool. I feel like the sort of the quick looking at the scoreline and then providing analysis after the fact take was like, oh, he needs to score more. He's not good enough for this Liverpool team. They need to get an actual goal scorer. Yeah. And you heard Jurgen Klopp in those days 
kind of constantly talking about everything that Firmino brings to that team to make them a better squad, how he connects, how he wouldn't have any other player aside from him. And sometimes I feel like it takes that backing to make that player become more beloved or just more enjoyed by neutrals as well as the actual fans. So for Chelsea, do you think it requires Thomas Tuchel talking him up a bit more and talking about how much he enjoys him and what he does enjoy? Because I do think that if you just focus on those misses and those big moments, it's and like then they'll cut to that shot off Tuchel when Werner misses, just looking like how did he even do that? Like, I don't. <laughs> it broke my brain. I don't understand how he missed that. And I think that like if we don't keep hearing Tuchel, that's when to me it's a problem. I'm wondering where you are on that sort of thinking. Yeah, and it's it's not just Tuchel as well. Actually, it's it's Werner himself. Every time he speaks, he seems to be. So I get why at the start he was he was he he often would apologize for his performances or for missing and say he would get better. I feel like that time has passed and there's a, there's enough in what he's doing now for him to okay. puff his chest out a little bit and be like, "Well, okay, yes, I did miss a golden opportunity in this game, but I also won the game with the goal that pro- probably has secured Chelsea top 4 fo- uh, football yeah. or at least done a lot to to send them into the Champions League." So, yes, Tuchel, I would like to see him um protect Werner a bit more but Werner himself like stick up for yourself like speak about what you're doing rather than what you're not doing and I think the focus changes very quickly I think the focus from Chelsea fans has changed already they are recognizing what he's doing and they probably need to partner him with a true goal scorer and that's where I say that he's not the player that maybe Chelsea expected but he's still a really worthwhile member of that squad see what just to make um so, sorry, say, is he there just to make yeah. Mason Mount look better in that respect, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. What, now that Lampard's gone, he, Mason Mount needs someone else to make him look better. <laughs> I mean, he's doing a fine job of that on his own, to be fair. He is. He's, he's, he's playing well, and I, I, I have to eat humble pie in that one. Uh, I think Mason Mount might actually be a good football player. So, uh... <laughs> You think? Yeah. <laughs> let's let's put that on his player of the year resume, shall we? <laughs> well, I think, um, um, have, either of you, have either of you ever watched The Sopranos before? To my shame, no. Also, no. I was hoping okay. Ryan was going to say yes there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's fine. It's just uh, basically for people who have. I'm going to compare Timo Werner to Tony Soprano, and specifically in his marriage, where he constantly does just enough to be like, "All right, fine, I'll give you another week." Like, like it's like just when she's maybe reached her limit, he like gives $50,000 to a college. And then she's like, all right, fine. I'll hang around for a little bit longer. But I think there will come time. It culminates in like, he brings home the wrong type of orange juice at one point, And that leads to a fight. And that's how it always is. Right. It's always like the tiny little thing. The, the major big like blowout argument is never about the big thing. It always starts about being the unrelated. You bought the wrong type of orange juice. And I just look for the day that Timo Werner scores a hat trick, but then also hits the post. And somehow that's the breaking point for Thomas Tuchel. Like the, I feel like there will be a time if it doesn't get that consistency. I guess it goes against what Graham said, but uh, I hope we don't have any bringing home the wrong orange juice sorts of moments for Timo Werner. Oh, I'm just picturing Werner in the in the locker room after a game. Uh, Thomas, I hit the post, but here is the correct orange soft for you. Exactly. <laughs> All right, one more week. One Something more week. that um, Timo Werner did do quite well, I thought, in this game was switch on his invisibility mode for the game uh, for the goal, where West Ham didn't seem to pick him up at all. I think it was uh, Ogbonna who was on him as he was sort of making his way through, and Ogbonna mm. sort of. Um, Realised that um, um, Werner had completely disappeared, so he switched to Mason Mount to uh, to track. And I think it was Suchek coming in who doesn't pick up Werner at all, and which is the result of the of the goal there. And I, I was quite disappointed in West Ham in this game, Taylor. Uh, quite quite negative, particularly in the first half. It just seemed like all the flair and the and the thrill that we've seen from them in the past few weeks was 
absent in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a lot of absences, which is maybe why part of that was absence. You but they've had no that Craig for a while, Dawson. right? They've had a few, you know, they've had a few people absent yeah. in recent weeks. But I think when when you then have a team like this Chelsea team coming in, I think maybe when you have those absences, what you then try to do is go for a more defensive and I would say at times reactive approach. And I think that can work if the team gets really frustrated. And that's where I think against a Lampard Chelsea, I think they overcommit. They start to send too many numbers forward. I honestly think this happens if they do this against Man United. Man United overcommit and get caught on the break. And I think that's a thing that maybe Chelsea would have done in the past this time around that they kind of keep doing what they're doing, but they keep it making a little adjustment. And it, and really the reason why I think Ogbonna is all over the place and trying to track Werner, but also stay with Pulisic is because N'Golo Kante completely splits that entire defense open with uh, a touch to receive. And then his second touch is sort of a completely out of nowhere pass that, that takes out, I think six West Ham players with one pass. And now suddenly I think Chelsea have an attacking advantage. And, and I think, Where that connects to me is that if you're West Ham and if you're trying to stop all of these different things from happening, sometimes that can work. But there is always that moment when you don't plug the dam in the right spot and now another opening has gotten bigger and now you try to plug that one and something else opens up. And I think as soon as you're sort of trying to improvise your defense when you've been very regimented the whole time it breaks down really quickly because assignments are blown and people don't know who to track. And then Timo Werner is somehow in the box and doesn't hit the post. Mm. That's fair enough. Um, One other thing I wanted to cover on this game, gents, is the red card, which I know has been covered reasonably extensively and it was very controversial for Balbuena. Getting a red card for essentially following through with a clearance and catching Ben Chilwell on the way through. Uh, Pretty controversial. And I think, who was it who did it? It was Soufal and then I think he did the same thing on Rudiger like moments later and no no booking or anything at all so rather inconsistent Lee Dixon Graham on the NBC coverage it was like he was going to flip a table over he was furious at this whole situation um as it unfolded but um to, to build on something that which you had on listener questions I think it was Shreyas Romani who gave us a question about VAR mm-hmm. last week Taylor and how it and its use yeah. in the Premier League I don't think this is VAR's fault this is the referees interpreting it this is the referee who, who takes the fall for this rather than the technology right I think so. I think this is the overuse, the overpolicing by VAR because it's not the system. It's not uh, like, oh, we're drawing lines and oh, we're micro officiating. I think it's just that they've been taught that if there is any question of it, we're going to look at it and we're going to look at it 30 times. And I think what can also happen, this is completely speculation on my part, but I think if, if you isolate certain moments, and I'm not saying it was a red card. I agree with you, Ryan. It was not. But if you only look at certain tiny moments, you will see that as a like horrifically malicious foul. And it wasn't. But as an example, if you're only looking at uh, the right foot as basically uh, who did who did he who did he boot in the leg? Chilwell, I think. Thank you. Yeah, like the right foot on Chilwell's leg. It then does sort of like flex and extend so for a moment it looks like oh he's actually like sort of stamped down again but if you're only looking at that leg you're looking you're not looking at the other leg which is off the ground so that's the only place he has any leverage when he's trying to stop it's it's the only thing his foot is on like physics dictate that that's where his foot is going to stay and if he's trying to get his foot off of that person but he has no other like weight to shift onto, he's going to put more weight on it. But I think in that clip, it looks like, oh, he extends again. And now he is trying to injure. And that's where I think it's it's too much. It's too detailed because that removes all of the other aspects of what was going on in that moment to just look at these one or two little things that if you only focus on those two little things, then you've got your evidence and not all the other things to the contrary. It's quite yeah. strange how there's been a there's been a spate of these in the past two weeks. I mean, th- this is, this is um, mm-hmm. really similar to the... 
the red card shown to Liam Cooper for Leeds mm-hmm. against City. Yeah. And then also John Stones, I think, was was almost like exactly the same area of the pitch as Liam Cooper. In fact, even even the Balbuena one takes place in a relatively similar part of the pitch. We've had three very similar uh, contentious red card decisions uh, given in the space of two weeks. But any, I think and even I think in the city city game, somebody somebody goes to clear the ball and a player's coming in, and the player kicks the other player who's coming in like on the bottom of their foot. Yeah, and that is given as Was a foul the... against the player who gets kicked. And it's like, but that's the exact same thing. But in the other one, it's a red card. It gets very confusing. It's very confusing. My conspiracy theory is that Pep Guardiola is in charge of VAR, and if anyone tries to hoof the ball, then um, they, they get an automatic red card just for that act rather than the actual <laughs> sure. follow-through and the foul because uh, that is very anti-soccer. Um, I think that's just about everything we can cover on this game, gents. Shall we move on to Leeds against Man United after some quick commercial messages? What say you? I say yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> Back in a minute. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are going to Elland Road for Leeds against Manchester United. This one finished uh, 0-0. Not quite as many goals as the last time these two teams met, certainly. But uh, for a 0-0, this was very enjoyable. A high-energy performance from both teams. Pretty aggressive from both teams. I thought it was a pretty intriguing tactical battle, to say the least. Taylor... Uh, you uh, did a show, a Soccer 101 show last week yeah. about Marcelo Bielsa, which is recommended listening. Really, really good stuff. I recommend you guys checking it out if you haven't already. That's the Marcelo Bielsa Soccer 101 episode. Can we talk about what Bielsa did here? Because it seems like he set up a little bit differently, certainly differently than the last time he faced Manchester United. Is he doing something different against bigger teams now? Something a, a bit less gung-ho, shall we say? Well, I think he just knows that the big teams are always going to draw a nil-nil. So as long as he sets himself <laughs> up to draw a nil-nil, then that's how it will go. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think they did a really good job of just having people track the obvious threats. I, I do think that Manchester United. My personal like opinion on the squad is that they're a little bit. Uh, we're going to be attacking first. We've got some plans. We've got some secondary plans, maybe even a third plan. But I don't think it is nearly as drilled as what Leeds are bringing to the table. And so. I think if you make sure that somebody is always on Bruno and maybe gives him a kick every now and then so he starts to get frustrated, I think if you're making sure that Marcus Rashford isn't stretching that back line and in obvious attacking positions, and if you're not letting anybody have a ton of time in advanced positions to find those through balls or those balls over the top, you nullify a lot of what Manchester United are going to try to do in in the attack. And I think Leeds set up to do that. And maybe this is an example in contrast to what I was saying with West Ham, where a team can set up to negate what the other team is going to try to do 
without it then meaning that they're being defensive and reactionary the entire game. That's that's my broad read on this one. But I I welcome uh, you both to tell me that I'm wrong. No, I'm not necessarily going to say you're wrong. I just it was definitely. Uh, um... Leeds were quite aggressive, but just doing things a little bit differently, being a little, yeah, a little more conservative in some respects. One thing I did notice that was quite different about Leeds, Taylor and, and Graham, is is the amount of fouls. I think it was 21 fouls they committed here. It was, you know, the pressing high, but also quite a lot more poop housery than I would normally expect from this Leeds team. Not that they are, don't usually do that kind of thing. But I imagine Bielsa in the, in the locker room before the game just had a big picture of Fernandinho, just pointed to it and said, do this. <laughs> Do this. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think a lot of that was just down to the fact that in the centre of the pitch, and I'm talking about contrasting it to the six-two game at Old Trafford, it just felt like they were a lot closer to Manchester United a lot of the time. I, I looked back at that uh, United game, the six-two game, and I think one of the biggest. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I've got the tactical chops to criticise Bielsa, but it, he, it seemed like in that game he was act, asking his centre backs to press too high up the pitch, and so that was creating space yep. in behind for Manchester United to to break into. And obviously, they do that very well with the pace they've got. But it, it, this time, it felt like he he left that pressing to the likes of uh, I suppose it would be Stuart Dallas and and, and Roberts in the centre midfield, and, and the back four were quite happy just to keep their line and hold their discipline. And that made it very difficult for Manchester United to find that space. And it didn't help as well that Solskjaer, for me, it's very quickly become a case of Pogba or Rashford. It's becoming more and more difficult to fit them into the same team. And when he went with Rashford, James and Greenwood, who all three of them are very, I guess you'd call them sprinters, you know, runners. Um, they, they try and take on a player, whereas Pogba will can try and control things and create something himself. It felt like Manchester United kind of played into Leeds' uh, hands in terms of their defensive strategy. So that was one of the biggest differences from the, the first game for me was the way that mm. Bielsa did more in his strategy by actually doing less. Is it like um, Paul Rudd in um, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Do less, do less. No, you're doing too much. Do less when he's doing the surf lesson. Nice reference there to my favourite movie. Um, one thing I think we should do is take a step back and just take a look at Leeds in general and what they've done this season. And particularly the last few weeks, unbeaten against Man City, Man United and Liverpool in the last three games. They're in ninth place in the table. And you have to think, with look at the quality of their squad. With all due respect, I mean, it's not... It's not a top half of the Premier League squad necessarily. I, I think if it was, say, Scott, Scott Parker in charge of those players, once again, with all due respect, I think they'd be in a lot more trouble. Yep. Bielsa, manager of the season, surely, Taylor. I mean, I think Pep is going to want a word. I think that's that's the only other candidate in my mind, just that if he does a quadruple and if they win the league in such convincing fashion without ever looking particularly vulnerable and never really having a slip, he's probably the other candidate but then i could totally see a, a ving rames jack lemon situation in which even if pep wins he like gives the award to marcelo bielsa as like being an inspirational leader yeah. because you're absolutely right that this is a team that when he takes them over when they're in the championship it, they're very much billed for mid-table maybe they'll make the playoffs maybe and he gets them into the playoffs but is near the top the entire season now they're promoted it's a lot of the same people they brought in some new faces obviously but for the most part it's a squad that do what he's asking them to do and work very hard in training and are familiar with the way he coaches, which is so specific and challenging that I think 
he's got a very harmonious squad. There's always the questions of, can they keep it going? Do they have the fitness? What happens if you get some injuries? But I think you see a team that are bought in. And if people are wondering what that looks like in more like specific detail, in the 50th minute, it's literally like 50-01 or maybe 50-00. Leeds have a throw-in, and it takes them a while to take it. It's probably like five to ten seconds, which when you're standing on the sideline trying to throw a ball in, feels like an eternity. But you can see all of the different rotations and two drop in and then two immediately sprint away and two immediately sprint into that space. Then those two leave and another person cycles in, but then a third rotates in from, like there are so many different patterns to taking a throw that you can see how much detail work and how detail oriented that entire team is. I feel like I have to, sorry to button, I feel like I have to stick up for my fellow Scott and the manager of the year stakes Moisey has to be in with a shout and in storylines I didn't expect from this season David Moyes versus Marcelo Bielsa from manager of wow. the year is right up there <laughs> that's a fair point yeah man what? that's a good shout I wouldn't be mad at, at any of them really I would hope it would be Bielsa or Moyes because I think that'd be fun I just think if if City win the way I think they're going to win the league it it probably ends up being Pep because that that tends to be the way it goes but i hope it's bielsa or david moyes or maybe ho- sean deitch somebody somebody else yeah i hope so too i suppose one question i have is why aren't leads why don't leads look more tired <laughs> because I don't, I why don't know. how are they keeping this up is my question well no i think is it a case where next season they'll look really tired and it will catch up with them and particularly maybe a lot of them not having a summer off and uh is, is it that like the the cycle will be over in a season or two i can't well, figure can it out I- Kind of like yeah. a Liverpool drop-off, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I guess that is a possibility, actually. We've seen dr- big drop-offs from Bielsa teams in, in the past, and there was there was that argument that the the lockdown last season actually kind of saved them a little bit, um, given that they were dropping off, and then they came back quite revitalised, yeah. so... But I think I think you're not allowed got... to say that Leeds won the championship because of the. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not what I'm saying. Ram I'm not what I'm saying. Twitter is overrated. That's no, <laughs> Twitter. You heard me wrong. That's not what I said. Um, but they've got they've got good squad options. I mean, in this in this game, I mean, Rodrigo's barely made an impression this season for Leeds. So you'd hope you maybe see more from him. Uh, Rafinha didn't play this game, did he? He was injured. No. He did not. So I mean, they they have good options that didn't even play this yeah. game. And um, how about Man United, Taylor, in this one? It seemed like they were trying oh, yeah, to... they played. They, they were certainly involved in this game. Uh, they tried to uh, tried to beat the high line with the, a few balls over the top mm-hmm. to Marcus Rashford. It seemed like, um, you know, the, the finishing let them down, uh, as, is, as is a little bit of a theme throughout um, many of the top teams in the league. Uh, actually, why don't we talk about that? Is, is, is that a, a condition of, of, of fatigue? That it seems a lot of top teams are just not making the most of their chances in the final third. Is that the biggest... Um, a result of, of of the fatigue that players are feeling right now, or the biggest yeah, indicator. I think I think it's probably just overall sharpness because that's a thing where I'm sure people have experienced this. Where like, let's say you have like a long day, like a long Sunday, and you're doing yard work or whatever, or you're going for a run, or you just like have a bunch of kids, like you're trying to keep everybody organized, and at the end of the day, you're kind of worn out. That next day, like I've had that where I'll wake up and sort of like I go to pick something up and I like miss it or like my foot doesn't like I trip on a step because I haven't raised my foot all the way. And sometimes that's just being clumsy. But other times I do think it's just if you're 10 percent reduced at your starting level, 
it, it, it's, it factors into how quickly you can make a decision and how quickly you can react to things as they change on the fly. If you've only had five hours of sleep and you're trying to think in a debate, you're not going to do as well as the person who's had 10. And I think that is probably where you see some of the sharpness and some of the discipline. And if anything, that's probably another advantage to the lead system of it's about those individual tiny moments that you've trained for versus Daniel James having a sort of 10-yard run-up to get his footing right to one time a pass from Marcus Rashford and still gets his footing wrong. I think if you're not operating at peak capacity, yeah, I think you're going to make those little mistakes that then get compounded, especially if you're Timo Werner. I, I actually <laughs> I actually uh, tweeted on, on the weekend about the, the, the performances of a number of teams, that the tired performances. This, this weekend really rammed it home for me, like how tired people are. Arsenal versus Everton on Friday night. Both teams looked absolutely knackered. Real yeah. Madrid drawing 0-0 against Real Betis at home on Saturday. They looked knackered. West Ham, I thought there was an element of tiredness in their performance. Spurs in the Carabao Cup final, they looked quite knackered. And, and yeah, I think it's certainly something that's impacting teams. Is there like an argument, like if you are a, let's say you're like a B, B-plus European team. I don't know what that would be. Like, it, this is a completely probably nonsense argument, but like, could you make an argument that you should not bring in some of those players who have played 70 games or whatever this season and just go for maybe less experienced players who are going to be slightly fitter when it comes to the Euros? Like if a team played all, I don't know, not championship because they've still had a ton of games, but if you had like players that are maybe not your A squad, but your B plus squad, but they've played 20 to 25% fewer games. Does that balance it out? Does that balance I, uh, the equation? I think Ryan Mason tried that in the League Cup final. It didn't go so well, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> we can get to that later. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is how England, you know, this is how Eric Dyer starts centre midfield for England at the Euros <laughs> this summer. <laughs> and England oh, no. once again ends, ends up in the same cycle of over. Well, what I hope doesn't players. happen for England this summer is uh, Harry Maguire having the accuracy in front of goal that he had in this game where he's you know, miss, missing free headers. There was one point where he sort of threw his whole body at a chance yeah. to try and get I it mean, to go in. Eric, uh, Harry Maguire, uh, he's, for someone who's so good at winning headers, he's the worst header of the ball in football. He's got a head like a 50 pence piece. <laughs> <laughs> He just comes off it. He's he's got sharp edges on his head. That you know, the ball just comes off at all kind of angles. The other thing about Harry Maguire in this game was, and this has been a revelation of lockdown, is I didn't realize Harry Maguire was so vocal until lockdown. Did you hear him having a go at Fred? In yeah, this game? that was rich, wasn't he it? He called he called him. What did he call him? An F star 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 idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the top of his voice. I thought that wow. was a bit rich coming from Maguire on that performance, frankly. But, yeah. uh, but there we go. Yeah. Um, Wan-Bissaka looks very good in this game. Uh, I was impressed with him. And his, uh, his fullback compatriot, Luke Shaw, um, not a bad job from him. Certainly did well at um, not giving away handballs for blatantly handballing in the box. Yay. But hey, hey there we are. Progress. <laughs> All right. That's, uh, that was Leeds nil, Man United nil. A very good, an interesting game for a goalless game, I would say. Uh, when we come back after these messages, we're going to go to the League Cup final. Uh, Spurs fans, just press the plus 30 second button a few times and we'll, you'll get to the next segment after this one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking League Cup Final, Tottenham Hotspur against Manchester City. Uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, a, a win for Manchester City by 1-0 that could have been 7 or 8-0. Um, the fourth consecutive uh, League Cup win for Manchester City. Uh, this was a game at Wembley which had 8,000 fans present, which felt, and certainly some of the players said they felt the difference of uh, the atmosphere that that created. Um there was some interesting performances from some Tottenham players and some new Tottenham players we hadn't seen very often. Um, and Tottenham didn't really show up in general, a bit like the Champions League final that they took uh, took place against Liverpool. Some similarities there. Um, Graham, did you know that Harry Kane's uh, trophy tally is the same as mine and yours? <laughs> I also saw, did anyone see the Sky Sports graphic they put up of uh, Pep Guardiola's managerial stats versus Ryan Mason's managerial stats? <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Which was, the same? Like, yeah, oh, like, yeah. Not much in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not much in it. I mean, it, it, it was cruel. <laughs> yeah, it was a very strange performance on Tottenham. They just didn't show much ambition at all. Didn't really set up to try and do much in this one. And if I was wearing my WWMD, what would Mourinho do bracelet? He, the answer certainly wouldn't be to put uh, Harry Winks and, uh, and, and Dele on and lots of other curious decisions that were made, Graham. Yeah, I, I totally understand why you're saying that because with the team selection, there were, there were some strange uh, decisions that Mourinho wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have made. You know, Alderweireld being back, Lo Celso being in centre midfield, you say, as you mentioned there, Harry Winks. But I still felt like the spirit of this performance was very, very much... Uh, there was still a hangover from the Mourinho tenure. I, I mean, is 17 months long enough to call it an era? I wouldn't even call, call it an era. That, that's definitely not long enough. Yeah, chapter. A, um, a Dan Brown chapter, only a couple pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mourinho da Vinci Code. Yes, let's go with that. Yeah, but it still very much like a, felt like a Mourinho performance in spirit. And actually watching this game, I, I mean, I'm not a Spurs fan, but I, I actually felt quite angry just on how Mourinho has once again left a dressing room absolutely shattered. Yep. Um, it was He's left Manchester United in a similar state where Solskjaer had to come in and put an arm around some players who were clearly... I mean, that re- the, the, the reaction of Son at full time is, is more than the reaction of a player who's just lost, lost a cup final. I understand that mm. That's an, that's an emotional thing to happen. As, as a player who, did anyone see his interview after the defeat to Manchester United as well, Kyungmin Son, who's just completely bereft of confidence. Um, and it feels like that's the, this whole dressing room. And Mourinho has done that at Manchester United. He left Chelsea in that manner. I mean, who is going to touch Mourinho in, in, in the Premier League now? But surely he's done because that, as I know what you're saying, Ryan, some decisions that he wouldn't have made. But this was very much a, a Mourinho-esque performance for me, given what we've seen in the last few few months. It would have, I, I don't think he would have produced anything different in this game had he still been in the job. And to your point, Graham, about comparing the like CVs of Mason and Guardiola, like on a day when Guardiola wins more silverware like by beating Mourinho's old team, his... Like, I guess if you count Chelsea twice, Man United and then Spurs, like his his fourth go in the Premier League, like that is that is kind of a stark juxtaposition. It was a weird game, man. I've got another weird analogy for you. If you thought my Sopranos game uh, analogy was going to be the weirdest one, I'm going with the fall of Constantinople on this one, if you all are keen. 
please go ahead. I love all the, everything <laughs> the, Turkish. The, you, you love bringing your Turkish references in, Taylor. Please do. I was going to say, the, the crickets tell me that maybe I should be brief with this. <laughs> Basically just that, like, when the Ottoman Empire eventually sacks Constantinople, it's sort of like after it's kind of already been sacked several times and the population is diminished and the walls aren't what they used to be and they don't have great leadership. And it's just sort of like they didn't do anything wrong necessarily in their battle plan. They kind of did what they always did. But at this point, they're so worn down that it's just like, yeah, OK, whatever. We'll we'll concede to the juggernaut. And that's really how this game felt. If like I agree with Graham, that though you have different people in there, it felt very much like I never saw Tottenham come out in a in a back three. And they're like, oh, they're high pressing. They're doing this. They're doing that. It felt like a not quite as good Mourinho team. And I think. Part of that was because they're worn down. Part of that is because you don't have Mourinho any, anymore. And part of that is that I think he really tried to instill this fighting spirit, this idea that like you all are too soft and that's the thing. If you get harder, if you win tackles, if you hurt each other in training, it will all come good and that's the edge you're missing. And here is the example of them. Like They fought, they worked very hard, they did what they could and it just wasn't enough. And the person who told them that message is no longer there because they weren't performing well enough. Yeah, I think it's a really depressing time for that Tottenham locker room. Whereas normally when Mourinho departs, it feels like it's this sort of like you see the bounce, you see the uplifting and the response to it. It doesn't feel like we're going to get that from Tottenham. We'll see what happens. I could well be wrong, but that's how it felt on the day. Did anyone see the XG, Spurs XG from this game? <laughs> was it yes. They had added an extra decimal place. Though. Yeah, there was 0 0.04. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I've seen a team with 0.04. Not, not at Premier League level anyway, I don't think. But uh, that to, to that point, Graham, I get, I get what... Uh, um, Taylor's analogy, his Turkish analogy, and I get your the point that the ghost of Mourinho haunted this team, but I still don't think that Mourinho would have set up to play for a shutout, would have had such a low XG in a final. Say what you want about Mourinho, but he would have gone for it a little more in a final. He would have made some different decisions to ensure that Tottenham had a bit more of a sporting chance in this one than they ended up having. And just lots of... Ryan, you know, Ryan Mason is much beloved at Tottenham and you know he, he's uh, come in difficult circumstances, but you know curious taking off Lucas Moura and deciding that Musa Suzoko was the right play at that point and the, the, the comments about Harry Kane was like oh Harry Kane says he's fit so I believe him okay that's good enough for uh, for you then then he can play sure yeah, that... when he's about 10% fit yeah great great and you know on, and Dombelli not being involved it's, it's lots of sort of curious decisions that were made here and and a, and a, a setup that I don't think Mourinho would have touched the only the only aspect that I can see where Mourinho being in charge would have been beneficial still, as when you mentioned there Kane saying that he's fit. Ryan, Ryan Mason doesn't stand a chance of going against Harry Kane. No. I mean, Harry Kane is the one with the power in that dynamic. So if he says he's, he's fit, then he's, he's playing. Whereas Mourinho may have had the, you know, the, the power in, in that dynamic to have left him out of the starting lineup. Having said that, given everything we've seen from Mourinho as Spurs manager, he, he didn't really like to leave Harry Kane out of his starting lineup, so maybe he would have played him from the start as well. I, I, I get, I understand what you're saying, Ryan. I think the timing of getting rid of Mourinho was really, really weird. And just for that 5% chance that Mourinho pulls it out of the bag, I would have kept him for the cup final. However, this, I, al yeah. I also think sorry. you're kind of... Sorry, sorry Taylor. I think, I think no, Ryan, no. You're, you, you're kind of making the mistake a lot of people make with Mourinho in that this is a different guy. This is a different coach. Like, yes, he used to do those things. Even like last year, he was he started the season like the old Mourinho, but it was very fleeting, and he that guy disappeared again. So I I, I just 
struggle to believe we would have seen a different sort of performance. That's oh. fair. Then now I'm, gl- I'm glad you didn't let me interrupt you because I was about to say, this does feel that there is a world in which this is the game that Mourinho wins out of nowhere. So I'm glad I let you finish. But, Sorry, but, Graham. But I, I un- but I, that's what I'm seeing with the 5% chance. Like, you, yeah. you, there, there, but there's not really any tangible evidence, I think, in yeah. my opinion, to support that. It's just Mourinho myth, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the mythicality around Mourinho that makes people believe that. And I understand that because sometimes I fall into that trap as well. But the performances Spurs were putting in were very, very much recently under Mino, I should say, they were very, very much like the one we saw on Sunday. And it's and it is the case that like when I think about how they could have won this under Mourinho, like it's not a they would have played much more expansive and had better like sequences of attacking play. It's more like we would have seen Mourinho teams of old, where in the first couple minutes, like Harry Winks goes in very hard and very high on Kevin De Bruyne. Like that's <laughs> that's how you start inside the first five minutes. Like it still would have been cynical and I don't think it would have offered them much more in the attack and so when you look at the way Spurs attacked and it was just this sort of like at one point I think they do finally get a cross in and all three of the other attackers in the box have already overrun it and gotten too close to goal and it goes behind and like out for a throw in and then you contrast that with Man City where they're at some points had eight outfield players inside the 18 making different runs and it's just like that's you can't hold up to that for very long somehow they did but it's the most dominant 1-0 win I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. And we should probably talk about Man City, them being the team that actually won the trophy and got to treat themselves to the big barrel of Carabao uh, during the medal <laughs> ceremony. Graham, as someone who lives in Britain, what is Carabao? Is it like Red Bull or something? I think it's actually um, what the majority of our national energy grid runs on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they just burn some of that and that, you know... That I, like, I like when Britain is idiocracy as opposed to America. That's fun. Are you going to pour it on plants to see if it's what plants crave? Is that the next step? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, honestly, I've never seen it in a shop. Right? It's kind of like uh, Gazprom. You know, you see Gazprom advertised and, yeah. you, and you go, who is who is that for? That might and, as well just say Vladimir Putin. Yeah. <laughs> when you see Gazprom I mean, at least at least Carabao I'm led to believe as a consumer product, but I've never yeah. seen it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I assume it just makes your insides glow a very strange color. But I, Isn't I it like, is it like Azeri or something like that? I think it's from like Azerbaijan. Or am I completely wrong on that one? Uh, Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Not sure. I'm glad, I'm, glad I've, I'm glad I've brought this up to ask you all a question that you couldn't possibly know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it didn't seem like many it's players... It's from Thailand. Were... Oh, there ah, you go. we go. Okay. Um, and very few players were interested in uh, digging into the barrel of Carabao, it seemed, at the end of the game. But um, the, the Man City performance here, it did seem like what I mentioned earlier about the finishing being uh, you know, a, a, a negative side effect of, of this pandemic and the tiredness that we're seeing across uh, many top teams with City not, not taking their chances evidently in this one. But it, it was like what you were saying, Taylor, with them swarming on the box. It just felt like they just didn't let Spurs play. They wouldn't let them do what they wanted to do. They were completely dominant in this performance, Taylor. Yeah, and I, and I think there was a an element of what we've come to expect from a pep team of a lot of discipline, a lot of trying to create overloads, and I think you had two different false nines in this one, sometimes three when Raheem Sterling would go central, but then also drop into midfield, and I think there was a lot of fluidity and an attempt to just sort of confuse, but there was also the... I don't know how else to put it, but like the Guardiola pragmatism of foul when you have to. And if it seems like they're going to develop any sort of attack, 
go ahead and foul, make that tactical decision. If you get a yellow card, you get a yellow card. I do enjoy the approach of know that you might get a yellow card and so really get indignant. And you can see it gives the referee just a moment of hesitation. And sometimes that's all it takes for him to be like, all right, I'm not going to give a card, but that was definitely a foul. And that's mm. how you talk your way out of it. And City do that really well as, as well. So how they were able to kind of be cynical and pragmatic, but at the same time continue to play this expansive soccer. That said, the goal does end up coming from a set piece and a header. So maybe not. Maybe it was just a very Mourinho performance in the uh, end a set piece, Manchester City. A set piece and a header from a player who uh, you know, very much <laughs> took that advice to heart of a tactical foul whenever you want. Yeah. And a player who was only yeah. in the team because of uh, another defender who was had a red card for doing the same thing. <laughs> In a different game. So <laughs> very interesting stuff there. Uh, Man City on for the treble now. Not the not the, the good Man United 99 kind of treble, a slightly different one. But uh, they'll very much be turning their attention to the Champions League, which is coming this week. Goodness me, these games keep coming, don't they? Wonderful stuff. Um, any more to say on this one, Taylor? I'd say maybe should we give a, give a congrats or a nod to Pep for starting Zach Steffen, keeping him going through this, uh, this cup campaign. Nice that he stuck with yeah. him through to the final, right? I mean, that's pretty much why they won. I think we can all agree that yeah. the key to Manchester City's success is Zach Steffen and Americans playing for them. But it is like it is sort of devastating to bring it all home that I think there was like uh, Gareth Bale subs on in this one. And I saw somebody on Reddit point out that like Gareth Bale left Tottenham, won four Champions League and is now returning to these players like who are gutted and heartbroken losing the League Cup. And it's sort of like, guys, like this, this is where we are. Like we won four Champions Leagues. Why aren't you guys caring more about other things? So yeah. that also stood out to me, as did the one about how much Kyle Walker has won when Harry Kane is not. Some. Um, some the, depressing stats for Spurs fans. The Harry Kane quote from 2017 that was floating around. Yeah. In three years' time, if I haven't won a few trophies by then, it will be disappointing. Yeah, disappointing. That's a that's a buzzword around Tottenham <laughs> these days. Uh, let's not dwell too much on their misery, though. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back with a goal fest from Major League Soccer. We are back, ladies and gents. Let's turn our attention to my favorite French team, La Galaxie, who took on the New York... Sorry, that's a terrible dad joke. I'm not going to regret it, though. They took on the New York Red Bulls <laughs> on Sunday. 3-2 uh, this one finished to the Galaxy, with Chicharito getting a hat-trick in this one. Um, Graham, a wonderfully entertaining game, a wonderfully defense defending optional game, uh, which we've got here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love this game. I thought it was I thought it was brilliant. And what I mean, I'm not alone. I don't think this will be a particularly original thought, but I also just really enjoyed seeing Yavu Hernandez, Chicharito being good and also happy again. I think that's yeah. one of the things that's most striking about him at the moment is he is playing with a giant smile on his face. He seems to have a new uh, Antoine Griezmann-inspired celebration as well, which I'm also <laughs> very much in, enjoying. And he's alive again. He's alive. Like 2020 is over. This is a new age for Chicharito. And and all three goals as well were classic, classic yep. Chicharito goals. He is back. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Yeah, that was very impressive stuff. Yeah, sneaking it at the near post. Um, you know that uh, what the one where he was got the really good Vasquez assist was excellent as well. And yeah. the scissor kick with no defenders anywhere near him was uh, very impressive as well. And he, he just, you're right, Graham, he looks like much more into it. A lot of passion throwing through Chicharito to use a cliche uh, in this game. Taylor, the Greg Vanny era of LA Galaxy seems to be off to a, a good start. What, 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 what do you think they're doing right at the moment? And um, apart from the defending, which neither team were doing right in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that he went to the Frank Lampard School of Coaching. And it's like, you know what? Just everybody attack. Let's score a bunch of goals and we'll see what happens. I mean, I think it's Greg Vanny sort of trying to figure out like what definitely is working. And it's early in the season. When we had Jeff Ruder on, I think his argument was you got to wait till like week 10 to really decide what we know about these teams. And I think Vanny seems to be prioritizing getting that attack going as quickly as he can. I think because of the way last season went for Chicharito, I think he wants him firing on all cylinders as quickly as possible. And if you've got that going, if you've got Vasquez combining, Grand Sear comes in and looks okay. Zubar starts this game. Sebastian Legette not involved in the starting 11. Like, you can see how he's trying to figure out that attack. And then I think there's an idea of like, and then we'll get to the defense, but the attack is the thing that he needed to get clicking first. And then it's figuring out how to make things more solid from there. I think that midfield two is probably the first thing he needs to look at because it seemed like they were stretched and open and uh, not great in terms of ball retention and passing, at mm. least uh, with Saldana on a couple occasions. So maybe that's what he'll look at. But for the time being, it seems like he's okay to win four to three every week. I think I'd have a word about set pieces as well if I was Vanny, because that's if you look at um, the Ripples, uh, the second goal, the free kick comes in. The way that the Galaxy are lined up, they're all bunched together like they were the attacking team on a free kick and they're all going to run in separate directions. Yeah, see, they're just set to attack all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was quite curious. But it meant that like I think it was terrible. Who, who uh, put the put the ball into the in? Well, we had the shot that was deflected in or whatever uh, for, for the header for Caseros Junior. But it was he wasn't picked up at all. It was like a very curious way to set up for a free kick. So I'm interested in what the logic was there. But um, yeah, overall pretty good stuff from from the Galaxy. Graham, I've just realised that. Um, Frank Lampard is the perfect MLS coach at the moment. If, if this is <laughs> if this is how games are going to turn out every week. Yeah, he's either going to be an MLS manager or he's going to be England under twenty one head coach. That those either one of those two is 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 nailed on for for Frank. Yeah, may, yeah. I, may I just take the opportunity to double down with what Graham said? Like, my, I think one of the things that like I kept it really did keep making me chuckle because I'm a dork is like when you hear like oh it's a classically little messy game. It's like oh he dribbled through and then he cut inside and like knew exactly where he was in relation to the goal and then just it just nestled it side netting. And with a classic Chicharito goal, it's like he got on the end of a bouncing ball and tapped it in while falling out of bounds from one yard out. <laughs> yep. He like found himself in wide open space and then showed his technical precision and finishing skill by megging the keeper. Great goal. And then the third one is like, yeah, he's in the right place and goes for the very pretty scissor kick into an open yeah, net. That was I'm great. not taking anything away from him. It's just like, that's what he does. He is a poacher. He finds a way to get goals and you want him in form. But it's just hilarious to me that classic Chicharito is like, oh, that tap in. That's that's definitive Chicharito. Yeah, and, and one of the one of the key things to that is getting Vasquez in the door. Like I, yep. I think getting him in to play with Chicharito is yeah. a masterstroke. Like I know I know it may seem quite obvious because obviously he was he was a great player for TFC, but just contrasting his contribution already to the Galaxy yep. to what Pavon did when he was supposed to be that guy, you know, for for, for the Galaxy. Um, is really stark. So, yeah, I think those two as a pair are going to take... I I mean, you know, MLS defences can sometimes uh, leave quite a bit to be desired. And if you get a, a, a... a strong attacking pairing like Vasquez and Chitrio, like they're they're going to take you far as a team. Like Chitrio is going to score about two hundred goals this year. <laughs> I think he's on pace for like eighty one or something like that. Uh, but yeah, great. like totally because Vasquez gets the assist for that second goal, the one where Chicharito is sort of wide open at the top of the box. That is unforgivable if you're a defender. But I think if you're, especially if you're a two weeks into the season defender for the Red Bulls, you might think, oh, Vasquez is out on the touchline. He's going to drop this to Viafania, who will then cross the ball in. I've got a little bit of time. I think anytime 
you as a creative playmaker can play a ball that the defense just did not see coming, you're always going to put your team into a stronger position. And then when you can actually deliver with the accuracy of that pass, and that's exactly what Vasquez does, I don't think any defender for the Red Bulls saw that coming, which is why Chicharito has no one around him by like maybe seven to eight yards on either side, which is a crazy thing to say when you realize that the Red Bulls were playing in a back three. But here we are, and Chicharito with a hat trick, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, maybe the moral of the story is if you're playing against Javier Hernandez, maybe like put a defender near him when uh, yeah. when, when his team are attacking. Yeah. I think that was a moral that Red Bull learned time and time again in this game. Who, um... Frank Lampard's going to hire you as an assistant, right? <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> Just defending. All right. Let's see if that or I'm going to be uh, Vanny's set piece coach. So I'll, I'll take <laughs> I'll take either or, frankly. But um, a very very entertaining game here. And frankly, I, <laughs> nice. I didn't even pick <laughs> that one up. Um, uh, LA, uh, which which is going to be the better team in LA? I suppose is a question I have as well this season because uh, the Galaxy is certainly looking pretty strong in that Vasquez uh, Chicharito combo. It looks like it's going to be very productive. Anyone got any predictions on that, Graham? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, I'm so I'm, glad he went to you and not me. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I, uh, I, re- I honestly really don't know. I mean, they feel really well matched. And to be honest, I'm just pleased that that's the case because since LAFC have been in the league, it feels like we've... I mean, I know the Galaxy had that, that hoodoo thing over LAFC for, for, for a while, but it felt, it felt like the Galaxy were good until LAFC turned up in the scene and then they weren't so good. And so I, I, I actually hope that both of them are kind of challenging at the top of the West. I really, I honestly can't pick between them. I, if Chicharito was going to score 200 goals this season, then maybe I'll go with the Galaxy. All right. Uh, I won't ask you, Taylor, because you didn't want to answer the question. Oh, no, you can I, ask me. I would just then. like to yield my time to Graham Ruffin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say I hope everyone has a jolly good time in Los Angeles and we all see some lovely games. And uh, these three, two games on Sunday afternoons, I'm here for them. So if we want to do these every week, uh, I, I, I completely uh, am on board with that. Long may it rain, Major League Soccer. Um, Let's move into injury time, gents, and we'll, we'll round up if there's anything else we've seen from around soccer this weekend. I'll start off by congratulating Watford for sealing automatic promotion back to the Premier League at their first time of asking with a 1-0 win over Millwall uh, this weekend. Um, Zis- uh, Zisco Munez's side, they're on the best run uh, they've been on at Vicarage Road since 1977. Uh, they're going up with Norwich, who, are also the, uh, who won the championship this season. Uh, in the playoff spots, we've got Brentford, Bournemouth, Barnsley and Swansea. It looks like it's going to stay that way with two or three games to go. But I'm very impressed with Watford. You know, they lost a lot of players in the summer. They have done their traditional losing of a manager this season with Vladimir Ivic making way for Zisco. Uh, who, and Zisco, by the way, coming from the Georgian top flight from Dynamo Tbilisi. Uh, Tbilisi. Don't know how to say that name, even though I should. Um, but but good stuff Tbilisi. from Watford. Tbilisi. Yes. Yeah. Tbilisi. That's exactly how I should say it. Thank you very much, gents. Um, but but congratulations to Watford for coming up again. I'm looking forward to seeing them back because uh, Troy Deeney's still with them as well, which is a, which is a delight. Any Ed, Graham, I'll go to you for any injury time extras you want to add in. Yep, two quick mentions. So first of all, the La Liga title race is getting real. Oh, uh, it is. Atletico Madrid losing to Athletic Club on Sunday night, uh, coupled with a draw for Real Madrid and a win for Barcelona, means that our, and Sevilla have uh, entered. They've entered the, the group chat as well. Uh, there's three points between Atleti, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Sevilla at the top of La Liga. I 
at, right back at the start of the season, I said to Taylor that I expected Sevilla to challenge. I then went a bit quiet on that <laughs> for a few months <laughs> and was a little bit sheepish in that prediction. It took a little bit longer than anticipated, but I feel a bit vindicated now because they are they are in the mix, Sevilla, uh, and they've got a big game. I think they play Real Madrid quite soon. Um, so if they were to win that, they are really in the mix. And the other thing I have to mention, I, I have to mention a goalkeeper in, in Scotland, Xander Clark scoring or rather assisting. I mean, it was tapped, it was deflected on the goal line. I think everyone is treating it as a, a moral goal for St. John's goalkeeper Xander Clark in 120th minute against Rangers. And he then, in the penalty shootout, he, that took it to a penalty shootout, saved two penalties to knock Rangers out of the Scottish Cup. So he pretty much scored the equaliser and then was also the penalty shootout hero, which um, I'm not really sure I've ever seen a more triumphant uh, 20 minutes for a goalkeeper than that. That's tremendous. Very tremendous stuff. Um, Taylor, we're not going to quite do uh, 10 minutes of extra time as we saw in Carson, California on Sunday, but I- I'll yield the floor to you for any uh, additional uh, points you want to make. You're saying talk for 10 minutes? That's what I heard there. Correct. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I will say that uh, uh, if you are living in a predominantly Muslim country, let's just call it Turkey, and you would like to eat pork, but it's not readily available, you could go to Tbilisi, which is how I know the name of that city. Speaking of Turkey, uh, Burak Yomaz gets the brace for Lille, uh, who went down 2-0 in the first half to Lyon. Fight back and get the 3-2 win, which keeps them top of the table, or I guess puts them back at top of the table in Ligue 1. But in France, it is tight. Uh, 34 games played, Lille have 73 points, PSG 72, Monaco 71. So we've got a very tight race in uh, in the French League as well. My final thing I wanted to ask both of you, it, it's, it's a question from the Man City game. With the tactical fouling that they do so often, how do you imagine them practicing that? Because that has to be a thing that he drills into them, that Pep drills into them. I want you to foul, like don't give up these opportunities. But I can't imagine in training, it's just like, all right, we're going to sweep the leg for the next 15 minutes. Like, can you envision <laughs> a scenario or how do you think they train that? I think they give uh, Alexander Zinchenko a five second head start and then <laughs> they all just chase him. <laughs> Who's going to be the rabbit today? <laughs> is, is that their version of Bielsa's murder ball? There's a murder Zinchenko. So yes, yes. That's it. I think we figured it out. <laughs> It might be mixed discarude if they That's actually it. That's why they sign all these players who are never going to get oh, a game. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so sad. And maybe true. Oh, that's kind of a depressing thought to end on, as is the idea that PSG are inevitably going to win the league, aren't they, Taylor? A little bit. Yeah. It feels that way. It does yeah. feel that way. I know. As soon as I, as soon as I, I was trying to get excited about like, Leo fought back. It's going to be PSG, isn't it? Oh, well. Oh, well. <sighs> Sigh. At least Graham has their lovely shirt to remember this season. Bye. Um, hey, there you go. I think that we're going to call time on injury time there. Thank you very much to both of you for taking part in this weekend review. Taylor, a pleasure as always to hear your dulcet tones and several mentions of Turkey, where we uh, know many parts of your very ex- uh, interesting life have taken place. I guess there were, weren't there? Yeah, uh, right back at you, but minus the Turkey things. And Graham... Turkey things or not, thank you very much for coming on the show today. We appreciate you. Thanks. It was it was a pleasure to come on and speak about my really uninteresting life in comparison to Taylor Rotwell. <laughs> <laughs> well, the gyms are open now in Scotland, so you're going to go pump some iron now. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'll probably sit in the sauna for longer than I'll actually be in the gym. <laughs> there you go. Max the envelope in the sauna, Graham. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Thank you very much and goodbye. <laughs>